0: how's it going guys we are live welcome to the bags riches podcast i'm your host zach ginn today got a special guest we have cody barton from phoenix arizona cody is a wholesaling millionaire and he's going to give us his advice on how you can become a wholesaling real estate millionaire in your 20s i don't care if you're in your 30s 40s 50s he's going to show you exactly how he did it and how you can do the same exact thing cody thank you so much for coming on
1: dude happy to be here super excited super excited to share with everybody that that hops on here and you know just to help share the the path you know the it you know that it isn't really that hard to put it all together and you know just with taking some consistent action you know how how everybody can you know do the exact same thing man so excited to be here
0: let's get it going man um one really cool part about your story i really want to break down how you got into wholesaling because i think it's super interesting Um, I I think you were like almost a master marketing affiliate person before you actually got into real estate. And, um, it's really impressive to see like how you'd be able to turn turn that into wholesaling. So I want to hear what is your full story getting to real estate wholesaling?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, really it came when, when I was in high school, I always wanted to make a lot of money. Um, I had read some books about, you know, some people like Robert Kiyosaki's books on, you know, becoming a million millionaire in real estate. And, um, you know, I always wanted to have a lot of money. You know, I grew up, you know, not super privileged and, you know, I, I couldn't really, I had to work for the things that I wanted um, if I wanted to have nice things. And so um, in high school, I, I would always do different things to make money. And then early on when I was 17, I was a senior in high school, I got introduced to network marketing. And. Um, That was kind of the the catalyst for really, you know, going into entrepreneurship than to real estate. Right. So I did that, um, you know, started making good money there, um, you know, hustled at, you know, 18, I was making over a hundred grand a year and, um, you know, made a good chunk of money by the time I was 21 doing that. And then it fell apart, it crashed. And then I had to go start over. And so I learned a lot through that. And, you know, I, from reading Robert Kiyosaki's books and you know, seeing I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to do this industry anymore. I want to figure out, I wanna figure out how can I go make a bunch of money doing something different. And real estate seemed like the next best thing. So I'm like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into real estate. And I started actually as a realtor. So I started working as a real estate agent before I actually got into wholesaling. It's funny because a lot of real estate agents, they say, I want to get into uh, I want to be a real estate investor and then they go get their real estate license. So I did that and I did that for a couple of years, realized all I'm doing is helping people buy and sell homes, but I'm not even buying any homes. So yep. the whole purpose of getting in, into the industry, um, I wasn't fulfilling on. So did that for a couple of years. I was selling about 30 houses a year. So was doing pretty well as an agent. Um, but again, I didn't really want to do that. I wanted more freedom and I wanted to actually invest in real estate, you know? So then I fully transitioned into uh, into wholesaling from, from that point was I just had a hard stop of, I don't wanna be an agent anymore. I hate it, I don't have freedom. And so I'm gonna just start wholesaling. And I started with the, you know, classic method of driving for dollars. That was how I got um, one of my first deals was, you know, there is, um, you know, a piece of land uh, that, I just put on my driving for dollars list and I called the lady and she wanted to sell it. And there was a developer that was building in the neighborhood. And, um, basically I ended up paying too much for the lot. Um, and then the developer, you know, beat me up on price. So I only ended up making like three grand on that deal. But for me, it was proof of concept so that it got me super, super stoked. And then it was just hit the ground running from there. Wow.
0: Okay. And what age did you get your first real estate wholesaling deal?
1: Um, I was probably 22 or 23. I can't remember exactly. Like I say that is my first deal because that was my first true deal when I, that's what I was trying to do. When I was an agent, I actually wholesaled a couple deals. They didn't really know that I was wholesaling them. It was like I knew a couple investor buddies and I got like, I had a seller that wanted to sell and then they were just like, Hey, I'll give you 10 grand for that. If you just bring me that deal. And I'm like, okay. So I, I unintentionally wholesaled a couple deals. You know uh earlier on but that was like the first one i was probably like 22 23 that i intentionally you know got that uh got that deal wow
0: that's awesome and how long did it take you from your first wholesaling deal to become a millionaire through wholesaling exclusively
1: um so i mean as far as you know revenue wise and under a year, we were doing, you know, wow. over $100,000 a month and an assignment fees, So relatively quick. Um, once, you know, that was the only thing that I was working on um, net worth wise, because I think there's a big difference between earning a million a year and being worth a million plus plus in, in net worth because making a million a year is great. But you know, how much of that are you keeping? How much of that is being invested in assets that's increasing your overall net worth? And you know, as a business person, and so um, it was about a year and a half, probably about 20 months, so almost two years to go to over net worth millionaire, but under a year to actually be earning, you know, revenue wise and, uh, uh, you know, a million a year.
0: Perfect. Dude, that's that's inspirational for me and for everyone else, because it, it took me four years to get that level. Um, it, it, it's pretty impressive you're able to do that. I mean, especially in Phoenix, because I mean, you do some deals in my market and it, it's pretty easy if you're physically here. Yeah, um, Phoenix is just insane. I mean, how are you able to hit those levels in Phoenix where everyone complains, everyone tries to go virtual and they're in Phoenix. Like, how are you able to have such a high amount of profit going on in such a crazy saturated market?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is like really the mindset around it. I didn't have a mindset of like it's too competitive here there's not enough deals here so I just didn't think about it. I still don't really think about it. I know it's competitive because we do compete on deals with other investors but like we just have always came from the mindset of abundance that there's always enough, there's always enough deals. You know, there is a data report a couple of years ago that was pulled that there's a data agency here or in Phoenix called the Cromford report, uh, Cromford Data Agency and so they had a report showing that in Maricopa County, which is, you know, the biggest county in Arizona, there is over 500 transactions that were happening on a monthly basis at 50% of the assessed value or under. So I'm like, if as long as I can get at least 10 of those, I could be making tons of money. If you get a few of those, you're making great money. But if you can get, you know, a little bit of that chunk of those homes, like you can make a killing. So I just always thought of it in abundance. And I know it sounds cheesy, but you know, if you think in in abundance consistently, and you know, you're not worrying about other deals that people other people are getting, and you keep your keep your eyes on your own lane, like that's what we've always just done. And I've always done is just I just keep my eyes in my lane, and not really worry about what other people are doing, because I'm gonna make it happen regardless if you know, and It's just, I think it's a mindset thing. Um, A lot of it, it is competition, but I think a big part's uh, the the mindset.
0: I agree. And you run multiple businesses, why doing millions in real estate wholesaling? So, uh, my next question I can ask you is: obviously, you're not going out there running on appointments. You're not doing like the grunt work. Um, How important are systems when it comes to actually building a large seven figure operation for wholesaling?
1: It's everything. I mean, it it separates the solopreneurs from the actual business owners. I mean, you're not a true business owner until you have your business running, and you could actually go and do stuff while you're away. Um, You know, it's if you if the business stops when you leave, you're not your business. You don't have a business. You have a high paying job, is what a lot of you know real estate investors have, and so which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just you can't get it confused, and it's. You know, recognizing where you actually want your business to go, and so for me, like systems, there's an acronym on systems that save yourself some time, energy, and money. Like that's what system stands for. And so if you uh, if you start setting systems up, you know, early on, like if you're doing you know one to two deals a month and you want to go up to doing more deals, if you want to go four, five, six plus deals a month, you have to start getting some systems involved, and you know, then from there. Um, you know, if you want to continue to scale, it's making those systems better. And, you know, then it becomes about your people and the culture and the organization too. But it's crucial. Like you're playing yourself. If you think you're going to build a business that consistently does, you know, a million a year, if you don't have good systems, unless you're involved in everything that's happening. Like I'm in Florida right now. We, I flew out here yesterday. I haven't really worked today like we still got you know two contracts signed like there's another promising appointment that one of our guys is doing later today like you know and they're they're stoked they're making money, and you know we actually have a business that can operate um without being there every single second
0: that's great i mean i it's it's literally the dream um the one thing I could have to ask you here is mm-hmm. in your business today, what yeah. is the structure looking like? Um, how are you able to make things run so smoothly? Um, and what are some tips you can give for someone looking to go from solopreneur to actually building millions in real estate wholesaling?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, you know, to answer the first question, so we've just recently, which I know, you know, Matt Beard, he's, he's now our business partner on our wholesaling business um, as well. And so The the last couple of years it had just been myself and Pace Morby, you know, running the business. So I'd run the operations, basically kind of overseeing the team and structure and all, all of that. And then we had a team that was facilitating. And so I would be, you know, kind of checking in. And so, um, you know, and Pace would do sales training and, you know, kind of help lead the vision of the company. And so that's what it was. And then earlier at the beginning of this year, we decided to merge with Matt. And so, we, uh, Matt's now pretty much running the operation. I kind of run, you know, finance, payroll, like a lot, you know, some of the back end stuff and then helping with organizing our systems and helping, helping make sure that we have things running smooth. I help with hire pe- hiring people, onboarding, training, things like that now, um, and just making sure that we have great people in the right seats to do the right things. And so, um, you know, most of our organization, our virtual assistants, we have about 20 virtual assistants doing... Things from you know lead generation to help us generate our leads we have virtual assistants doing lead management that help us follow up with those leads that are generated and then we actually have three uh, of our virtual assistants that are talented enough that they can actually close sellers over the phone we do have another sales guy Um, he's he's out of Washington and so he uh, he closes as well so he's our u.s. based acquisition rep as well so Um, we have that, we have, um, another girl on our team that's doing our disposition, um, of our deals. And then we have one JV guy on our team to help bring in JV deals and fix and flips and, you know, help us get more opportunities at rentals and things like that. So we have a pretty small operation, uh, in the U S you know, but we have a large, you know, team in the Philippines that helps run a lot of it. So, um, that, that's essentially what the operation looks like today. And then wow. that's the question. Uh, what was the second question again? I'm like, where was
0: that? Yeah, so no, no worries. Um, so if someone's looking to actually start going from solopreneur to actually building a seven figure operation, or maybe they're, they're already at some figures, but they actually want to start scaling or really delegating more tasks. W- how should someone start doing that? Just strictly they're doing everything themselves. How do so, you start doing
1: that? So the first thing is like realizing that you can't do everything yourself. So, I think what I see constantly is the people have the hardest time trying to, um, they try to just control everything. And so the reality is, is here's the reality number is realizing your team is going to screw stuff up. They're going to blow up contracts. They're going to sell deals for less than you probably could have sold it for. They're going to screw, they're going to screw stuff up. And that's just part of being a business owner. And just being okay with that because you as a business owner are usually going to care the most about your business, not somebody on your team. Doesn't mean that you can't get great people, but if you get great people, you know, just be okay with them making some mistakes and relinquishing some control because you, if you hire somebody, you have to be able to give them responsibility. And a lot of business owners I see, they try to give responsibility, but then now they're sitting there freaking micromanaging them. And not allowing that person to grow into the role. And they're either going to succeed in the role or they're not. And if they don't, then you just have to replace them with somebody else that's going to be a better fit. And so I would say that that mindset shift of, okay, I'm going to hire somebody. They're probably not going to be as good as me. And then they're probably going to screw some stuff up, but they get your life back. They give you, you know, more freedom when you have the right person. So um, understanding that, you know, first of all, and then, you know, second is understanding, that you hire the next most important thing. Um, You know, it's gonna be different for everybody, but for example, if you're a solopreneur just doing everything on your own, you have to look at, okay, like I view this business and there's only a few parts to it. There's lead generation, there's acquisition, there's disposition, and then there's administrative tasks and system management and things like that that have to be managed. So I would say for most people, it's gonna be the first step is getting your lead generation automated. Whether that's direct mail, whether that's, you know, virtual assistants doing cold calling or virtual assistants doing text marketing for you, or you're doing PPC, you need automated lead generation. So that's, that's the first stage is get your lead generation to where it's just going consistently. Um, and then from there for me, you know, cause I don't like doing acquisition. I never did is, you know, I, I found a, uh, you know, I found somebody to partner with and help with acquisition, but you can hire them. So if somebody, you know, is doing all the acquisition themselves, you know, hire somebody to do acquisition for you. No, they probably won't close as good as you. But if you teach them what you know, and you help them get better, they can close 70% as good, which then you have more time back to live your life and to be able to grow the business more and be able to grow other businesses. So um, it's just adding on as you need. So if you don't have the lead generation figured out, you got to get that because there's no leads, you got no deals. So once that's figured out, then it's, all right, how do I close more deals? You hire an acquisition or partner with somebody that's going to do acquisition for you. And then you have, you know, the the disposition side, which, you know, if you can hire on a per, you know, fee basis, a transaction coordinator um, and then the Uh, on disposition at the beginning. I I always tell people to JV with people until they have their lead generation and their acquisition machine worked out because too many people squabble over, you know, three or $5,000 or $7,000 fees that somebody else is making on a deal because they're thinking that they need to keep that money. For us, we're like speed of transaction, speed of moving deals. Like, yes, we want to make the most amount of money on every deal, but If we're starting out, um, if I looked at starting out again, I wouldn't be focusing my time on dispoing deals because I just want to get an acquisition machine. So I just have deals constantly coming in and then I'll dispo some with somebody else that can help me sell them. And then as my business continues to mature, then build the dispo side of the business out because you can at that point you just have this freaking machine just pumping cash in constantly that now you can go and maximize your assignment fees on the back end and make the most on each deal
0: yeah definitely i mean uh the one thing i, I do have to say is i mean this is great information um i everyone hears me ran a lot of my lives uh because i do a bunch of videos that you know th- there's a lot of people out there saying i do all this business i do this big business and they really don't that there's a lot of people I, i've seen in wholesaling but um people hear me talk about but with cody's business i've i've dealt people in his operation i've dealt with uh Ka- carolyn caroline yeah caroline. her yeah. matt like these guys are legit like they, they know what they're doing i've seen them do deals like especially matt like they've been on we've yeah. been on the same huds so when you guys look at like someone like cody on like youtube like his youtube channel when he says something it's it's legit he's not this fake guy out there so uh, want to clear that up for everyone watching, um, the Facebook group and everyone that he actually runs a real business. That's why he's on here. That, that's why I'm trying to interview him. So, um, want to clear that up, but, uh, the next part is in your business now, uh, it's, it's running pretty smooth. It's running really well. Um, obviously there, there's, there's time, some issues yeah, it feels like
1: it. And then sometimes there's fires like every business, oh my you know, gosh.
0: <laughs> there's, there's fires everywhere, but um, like you said, starting out the marketing when it comes to virtual is really tough. Um, in your business right now, what's the hardest part right now or what's the biggest difficult thing that you're having, especially when scaling up even more? Is it marketing, dispo acquisitions? What is it for you?
1: People. Not even any yeah. of them, really. It's just people. Like when you're when you're building a business and that revolves around people, having good people working in the business, it's managing and then people. Like I would say lead generation works great for us. We're like we have no issues there. Um, you know, the acquisition of deals, you know, works where we're doing great. This disposition could be better there. You know, we, we still haven't put tons and tons of time into our dispo process. Most, most of our buyers are the same, you know, five to 10 people that buy most of our stuff, if it's in Arizona. Um, and, a, and a, the big thing is for us too, is we take down a lot of our deals. Like we were true investors in the sense that like we have, you know, right now eight different fix and flip projects that are going on in Arizona. And, you know, we have two, our first two that were taken down in Florida that close next week. And, um, we buy rentals. We, you know, launched four Airbnbs in Arizona last month. And so, you know, we, we take down a lot of our deals and so our dispo isn't the strongest. So if I had to say an area where we can get better, it's definitely dispo. Um, but it's also not something we're super worried about, but as you grow your business and you have more people involved, which I'm sure you, you see this too, is, you know, it's, it's having, keeping the people excited, keeping them motivated, keeping them on track, keeping them, you know, consistently performing day after day, week after week, week, month after month. I would say that's, you know, the biggest challenge, um, because you're balancing, making sure that the people you hire They're a good culture fit and you're making sure that the people you hire, they are, you know, on track to making the money that they want to make to be happy to stay in your organization and they feel like they're getting what they need to be, you know, to be there long term. So those are, those are the biggest challenges that we have, you know, currently.
0: Well, let's talk about it. So you run obviously a bunch of businesses. Um, You have the subject to business, you have the wholesaling business, you have YouTube channels, you do a bunch of crazy stuff, which is great. Uh, but you also do, uh, start virtually.com, right? Yeah. Okay. So by the way, guys, if you've heard of it, um, it was VA hub, uh, in the past, but now it's start virtually. So now, now I know. Okay. (laughs) So start virtually.com is where it's at right now. Um, that's another VA business that you have. So can you explain what that is and, uh, for the people?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I mean, basically kind of how that business even started was we again we didn't intend to like start all these different businesses at the beginning we just we wholesaled and then we're like well we're wholesaling why don't we fix and flip um okay well we're already wholesaling so it's easy to do that so we were wholesaling then we're fixing flipping and then it's like well we should buy some rentals for tax advantages. So then we were buying rentals and, you know, um, we started Airbnbs because of the eviction moratorium last year. We were pissed off because we couldn't evict some of our bad tenants. And we're like, how do we avoid this? So we started launching some Airbnbs. And so we start these different businesses out of kind of, you know, natural progression of business. And then for us, like we'd been running our business with virtual assistants. Like I've been using virtual assistants since like 2017. And so, um, and, and Matt has, you know, for years as well. And so we would joke around in 2019. We're like, why don't we just start our own virtual assistant business? Because everybody's always coming to us and asking us how to get virtual assistants. How do we hire them? How do we train them? How do we manage them? And so that's how that business really was born. And, you know, the beginning of, uh, or basically the month COVID, uh, you know, shutdowns happened in March of last year is when we started that. And so um, basically, You know start virtual um you know our whole goal and you know thing that we help people with is you know we help people hire virtual assistants you know and we help manage them um you have to you know teach them the way that you like your business to run obviously because we don't know that but you know we help hire them train them manage them we fire them you know if you don't like them we replace them with somebody else and we pretty much make it uh, really streamlined for people to hire virtual assistants and get them integrated into their business and have you know, an, an additional manager that's helping you know, manage those, uh, their individual VAs as well. So um, that's, uh, and we do it for you know, a few different industries, real estate obviously being the primary one, you know, people can hire cold callers there, you know, text marketers, systems managers, and train their cold callers to become lead managers for them from there as well. Um, so you know that's a big part of what we do at Start Virtual is we help people, you know, with the automation processes um of their business and helping, you know, implement their systems and their businesses.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh so I kind of knew a little bit a little bit about that, and it's pretty cool to see. So uh what are some of your tips if someone obviously they want to use startvirtual.com, but if they want to do the first VA or something like that, what what are some tips you can give for someone to look out for a bad apple versus a good VA?
1: Oh, for sure. So, I love that question because I think sometimes people go into hiring a virtual assistant with the wrong, you know, expectation and the the thing people have to realize is people are people. And so sometimes, you know, you may hire somebody and they're not a good fit. And it's just fire them quick and then get them replaced with somebody else. But, you know, the way to have the most success with virtual assistants is integrating them into your culture for your business so if you're doing team meetings or partner meetings and you know different meetings with your team having your virtual assistants be a part of those meetings because what do people want at the end of the day with with their work they want to feel like they're a part of something they want to feel like they're getting contribution they want to feel significance they want to feel like they're their, you know, their voice is being heard. Um, They don't want to be treated like a robot. I see the people that have the least success with virtual assistants are the people that treat their VAs like they're not even human. They don't treat them, you know, like they're actually part of the business. So the way to get the best results is bringing them on and having them, you know, be a part of the the training and the culture and the different things you're doing within your business because that's what at the end of the day is going to have them excited to be around long term with you too. So, Um, the other things we do, you know, we do a lot of, you know, we do daily huddles with our, our team, you know, in the morning, Matt's running those and then call calibrations weekly. So if they're cold calling, pulling some of their recordings and listening to them of the calls they're making and give them coaching, you know, the, the, the managers that start virtual, they help do that as well. But if you have certain types of strategies, like for us, like we buy wholesale deals, we buy subject two, we buy, you know, seller finance deals. So we coach our team on how to understand how to have those conversations with these homeowners. And so, you know, the more that you pour into your people, whether they're virtual assistants or not, the better results people are going to get. But managing expectations of if you are not, you know, number one, if you're not in a position financially to you know be paying for marketing for multiple months in a row, it's probably not a good fit to pay for, you know, a virtual assistant. You know, it's just not, you know, you should start with some of the more affordable lead gen strategies like driving for dollars or, you know, JVing on deals or, you know, not door knocking until you have a little bit more capital to spend on marketing is definitely my recommendation there too.
0: Okay. And obviously you've had a lot of VAs and a lot of people like fiscally you've had a hire and fire, right? Yes. So, uh, the one thing I want to tell here is what is your biggest nightmare people story and what did you learn from it?
1: Oh man, <laughs> How, which one? Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: I, I mean, you know, when, when you're hiring and firing and going through building a business so much, like you're constantly having issues with people. And so, I mean, I wouldn't say there's any like real big significant nightmare stories, but- you know, cause I, I take responsibility for all of it because if I don't do a good job as a leader, like I could look back and s- at a couple acquisition people we hired in the U S and I don't feel like we as a company, you know, set them up for the best results, starting them out. And so, I mean, shoot, I can't even really think of, you know, really nightmares, but just like major headaches. Like, so here it is. Here's, here's, the, the biggest thing would be people that were a bad culture fit. We'd hire too fast and we'd fire too slow.
0: Yeah,
1: That would just be across the board with every company that we have is we'd hire too fast because we just needed to fulfill the role immediately. Cause we were, you know, feeling a bottleneck in our business and then we would hire them and then they'd be a bad fit, but we needed the role filled and they you know, half halfway done job is still at least better than no job. Right. So You know, then we'd wait too long to fire them. So I would just say that in general is just hiring too fast, not, you know, allowing for a few different conversations and really seeing if they're up to do the job and they're a good part, good fit of the culture, right? Because for us, we're big on culture. And if somebody doesn't fit, you know, our culture, then they're just not going to make it. They could be really good at the job, but if they don't come in and they're not, you know, inspired about, you know, doing the right thing, making shit happen, and um, you know, just taking massive action like that's they are just not going to fit in with our culture. Like if they—if they're typically thinking about what am I going to do on the, this weekend and how am I going to, you know, find a way to take Friday off early, like they're not going to last in our organization. So I would say bad culture fits are like cancers to your organization, and that you have to remove fast. We have we we do that very quickly now. We have an HR consultant that see basically hires and fires our people now. And so as soon as they're just not a good culture fit, it's like, bye, like, like you're gone. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's been our nightmares is just hiring too fast and firing too slow.
0: Okay. Well, wow. I mean, that's a big lesson learned. I, I learned that pretty quick too. So yeah. um, that, that, that's huge. So my next question here is you run a pretty good subject to business also. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it seems insanely profitable. So, How do you separate the wholesaling business from the creative finance side of things? Because it seems very difficult to do because a lot of it seems intertwined. Sometimes you got some overflow from wholesaling leads that go into there. Like, how do you separate it?
1: So for us, we don't separate anything. It's just all a funnel. And so like, look at it like this big funnel of there's all these opportunities that come into our world. And then as they move down the funnel, it gets smaller and smaller. And then at the bottom of the funnel, they shoot out whatever opportunity it's going to be. So, like, for example, we don't market for you know, uh seller carries or subject twos, or we don't mark we market for our wholesale opportunities, and then we convert based off of pain points and seller motivation. So we find we look for our acquisition machine machine looks like uh we're just looking for. You know, distressed sellers or motivated seller opportunities. And then our team's job is to identify how we can solve that seller's problem. Is the best way to solve the seller's problem uh, because they owe too much on the property? Is it a subject to? or is the best way to solve their problem a cash deal because of their particular situation that they're in or is it a tired landlord that owns the house free and clear doesn't want to be a landlord anymore but likes the consistent monthly income that they want to receive in retirement perfect we structure it as a seller finance where we make them a you know a down payment and then we make them monthly payments and so we structure it all around what is going to be the best solution for the seller, but we market for everyone. So, so that's, that's uh, you know, the, the big thing that we do is we don't focus on marketing for a certain type of you know, acquisition. We market to distressed, and then we acquire based on solving a seller's problem and they just go to different places. So like we have our wholesaling business entity, we wholesale our properties from our wholesaling company over to our buy and hold, uh, for rentals or to our Airbnb LLC or to our Fix and Flip LLC it's they all start in our acquisition machine and then go to their home which could be one of these other entities based on what we're going to do with that property so that's that's how we separate it out
0: okay uh, so are you so you're actively marketing through the wholesaling to get through the funnel to the subject too yeah. so are you marketing maybe to properties like what do you do with the ones that are like under 20 10% equity are those you're just not marketing to? Like, how do you get to those? Um, I
1: mean, we market to a lot of unknown equity lists as well. So obviously, as you know, on unknown equity, it's like, you don't know what you're going to get. And so, you know, a lot of those will come up. And then like, if if we niche down for like, you know, those niche lists, like probate, or pre foreclosure tax default. Like sometimes on those, we won't even, you know, filter it for an equity percentage. We just want to know based on like pain points that could be there and seeing if, you know, those people we could help. So that's that's typically how we'll do the marketing.
0: Okay. I got a couple more questions for Cody before we get the audience going. So guys, remember comment below your questions for Cody, um, get it answered. So next question here is pre pandemic versus post pandemic on your business what was the biggest difference between Cody Barton as the businessman before COVID versus after?
1: Um, I would say the the number one biggest difference is just like awareness. Like obviously is, you know, anyone that's paying attention to the world right now, we have a lot of inflation happening. There's a lot of money being printed constantly right now. And so, just being aware to be getting my financial house in order as best I can. So making sure I have, you know, stabilized assets, making sure that I have properties that are cash flowing, making sure I'm not increasing my personal living expenses, you know, to be super lavish. Like, yes, I, you know, go on vacations and I, you know, just did buy a new car and different things. But like, I make sure like I, you know, and obviously I worked to this, this didn't happen overnight, but like I keep my personal living expenses at under 10% of what I make. So I never am feeling stressed about money. I think one of the biggest challenges, whether pre pandemic or post pandemic is people not having a good money management system. Like I, I follow very strict money management systems that I'm very disciplined with. And so, you know, it's, I've gotten even more strict on that, you know. During the pandemic, you know, after you know, after the pandemic or whatever world we're living in right now of this kind of after but not after pandemic, right? So, um, I think it's just, you know. W- making sure that the financial world is in order. Our businesses are healthy. They have good reserves because I want to make sure our people are being taken care of and that they can be paid. Cause I take it really seriously that, you know, we have people on payroll that they support their wives and kids and families off of the income we pay them. And so, um, that that's been really the biggest thing is just making sure that we're very financially secure, um, through this time and making sure that everything's good and then encouraging our team to do the same personally uh, as well so that they can have some good habits. So they're not, you know, too many people. I I mean, I'm sure you've talked to people that they just spend everything they make, you know, in their business. And it's, you know, they increase their lifestyle as their income goes up and it's a bad habit.
0: I agree. Um, that's huge. Uh, I do the same exact thing. Uh, so the next question I have here, uh, obviously you're not a lawyer, financial advisor, tax person at all, but, um, off the books here that you're not giving legal advice here but what is the biggest tax tip you can give for someone who is ramping up a wholesaling business right now
1: so if you're ramping up a wholesaling business right now and you're actually making you know if you're ramping it up and you're doing a lot of deals and you're making money buy rentals like that's the that's the biggest thing like you can get and have a good CPA like if you don't have a CPA that understands how to do forced depreciation because depreciation of a property is typically like the tax code is over 27 and a half years. There is a loss that can be taken every year to reduce your tax implications against that property based on you know your CPA can explain this to you. If they can't, then you got the wrong person. But having the right CPA that you know can do strategy with you. Um, you know, I have a call with my CPA every quarter and we have a conversation. This is how much money I've made, you know, personally this year so far, how many rentals have we bought? What's my tax liability looking like right now? What's my game plan for next quarter to acquire more properties so I can pay less in taxes at the end of the year. Um, And so it really, you know, rentals, having a good bookkeeper, having a good CPA is game changer. And then your, you you know, making sure you're buying rentals to, you know, help with the the depreciation is going to be huge. So those are, those would be the biggest things that, um, cause I mean, what else do you do, right? You know, you write off your marketing and other expenses, but there's not a ton of things you can write off, um, past that. And if you're making too much cash, like, you know, you're going to be, you're going to get hosed in taxes at the end of the year.
0: (laughs) It's crazy. So, um, great tip there. So let's get some questions from the audience. Uh, so, Kevin asks here, hey, Zach, um, this is for you, Cody. Um, what advice would you give if someone hardly has time to do cold calling? Mm-hmm. Um, they work 12 to 15 hour day, Monday through Friday, and obviously weekends they spend with their family. What would your tips be for someone like that?
1: So it depends on like the amount of deals that you're trying to do and what you're trying to really do in your business. Like that's gonna be the biggest thing um, is, you know, but I would, hi- like you can hire people to do that for you, like. I hired virtual assistants to help me do, you know, cold calls because I didn't have enough time in the day to make all the cold calls. Right. And so I would, um, I would look at if you can afford hiring a virtual assistant, you know, maybe 1500 bucks, 2000 bucks a month, you know, for a virtual assistant plus a little bit of data and, you know, a dialer to have leads coming in when you're working, that would be ideal. Um, cause if you don't have the time, like that's like, you got to figure it out. And like, this is gonna sound kind of harsh, but I get like, you wanna spend the weekends with your family, but what do you want more? Like, you gotta go cast the vision for your family, you know, for your wife or, you know, and say, Hey, I'm going to start working on Saturdays or Sundays or whichever day that is so that you can start propelling your business forward. Because if you think that, you know, Zach or I got to where, you know, our businesses are at by not working weekends, you'd be fooled to think that because it was, we had to work lots of weekends, lots of nights, lots of early mornings and late nights and heartaches and headaches of, you know, building the business. And so you just got to, you know, set your family up and, you know, cast the vision of, why is it important for you to do that on the weekends a little bit to have some of that time? Cause yeah, you could have leads coming in during the week from, you know, VAs, but like you gotta have to find some time to follow up with those leads and try to convert those into, into contracts. So that would be, um, you know, my advice, I know it sounds kind of harsh for, you know, yeah you need to do it on the weekends cause you don't have to, you do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. That's what this business is about is you have to do some of the stuff that sucks for a little while. But if you're smart, meaning that you actually like help, you know, continue to grow and educate yourself as you're getting your business going, you can get yourself into a position where you don't have to work weekends. I don't work on the weekends typically in the business. I work on the weekends on the business. So I strategize and come up with new ideas and implement new system ideas and, you know, record YouTube videos and different things like that. But, you know, earlier on, like I was working those weekends. So that's just something you have to look at.
0: That's it. That's great advice there, Cody. Um, Leslie says she relates so much. hate when I was an agent, um, Brenda says, "With Airbnb, do I have to ask the neighbors for permission?" I don't know that one.
1: Yes and no. Um, ask okay. for forgiveness, not permission.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> I but love it.
1: Also depends on the HOA as well. Like you don't want to get into an HOA where it's like extremely not okay to do it. Um, we have a couple in HOA communities where it's technically not allowed, but it's just not an issue. The neighbors don't care. Our Airbnb manager met the neighbors and they're, they're cool with it. So there's no issues, but it's something that, you know, if, if you're in a really strict HOA, I would probably not do it. Um, and then, you know, a couple of ours are in non HOA communities, so we can do whatever we want in those communities. So.
0: Perfect. Uh, Kenny says afternoon, Zach and Cody, great stuff here. Thanks Kenny. Um, Francisco says, what do you expect from a VA every day for cold calling uh, there in Portland, Oregon? So when it comes to
1: a, a VA, we, and and there's a video on, on my YouTube channel that I talk about how to qualify leads because our virtual assistants cl- qualify something as a lead based on uh, motivation, timeline, price, condition. So motivation, timeline, price, condition, the four pillars to a lead. Um, And so we want to see those four pillars. And so for us, we want to see at least one to two net leads every day from our virtual assistants. And we're happy with that. So that's what we're looking for. Some people I talk to, they're like, oh, I want five to seven or I get four or five, six leads a day. Well, you know, we we like the approach of being more like a sniper than like a shotgun. Like, we don't want to talk to everyone that said that they have a pulse and they're, you know, they would talk about their house. Like, we only want to talk to people that are actually wanting to sell a house. And so we try to vet them down as much as we can, um, you know, when they get into our system. So one to two net leads a day is what we're pretty stoked with. Um, and Mark, yes, we do use NOAA for Airbnb as our manager. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. Um, Leonard Dropout, wholesaling's passion. Just picked up my first check. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Oh, congrats yeah. Congrats congrats um, on that, man. <laughs> awesome. Um, his question is: how can I keep a stream of consistent deals coming in every month?
1: So I I call this the wholesale hamster wheel. There's a lot of people that this is what they do. They go, they're hustling, they're hustling, they're hustling to get leads, and then they get a, a contract on a deal. And then now they they stop hustling for leads. And then now they're hustling to try to sell the deal. And then they finally sell the deal and then they baby, they they hold it like a baby all the way to closing and then they close. And then now they have no business because they stopped generating leads. So now they got to run back over here, start generating leads again, and then they get a contract and they're running over here trying to sell it. Then they sell it, then they're babying it to closing and then they got to start over again. So the biggest thing that you can do, to keep your uh, consistent deals coming in every month is having consistent leads generating constantly for your business. If your lead generation stops, your business is stopping. All of your all the wholesaling business is is marketing and sales. So, you have to keep that marketing machine going on so you can do the sales and convert those leads into contracts. And so that's that's uh, you know, so whatever that means for you, whether it's direct mail, whether it's hiring a virtual assistant from startvirtual.com, whether that's hiring your freaking little brother to cold call or text for you. Whatever that looks like, you need consistent leads. That's how you get consistent deals is consistent leads.
0: Sweet. Keep it up. Um, Mark says, two of my favorite value driven people online. Thank you for both your massive contribution to the wholesaling community. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, Thank you. So last question here. Um, Dante asks here, uh, actually do a couple more questions. Uh, How much money should you have for a VA?
1: So, when it looks uh, when you're looking at hiring a VA, there's a couple different ways you could do it. You can go source one yourself and train them, hire them, manage them, and all that. You'll probably pay four to six bucks an hour. Um, you know, going that route. Um, you know, start virtual. If you hire a virtual assistant through you know our company, you're going to pay a little bit more of a premium. You know, nine dollars an hour. Um, but the other thing that you have with that is you have a manager helping manage that VA. And they're already going through a a real estate training boot camp before they get started with you of how our company trains our team. So you have, you know, a manager and a virtual assistant that are, you know, rooting for your success and, you know, helping ensure that you're successful with that virtual assistant. And if you need to replace them, we'll help get them replaced and, you know, onboard that newest one for you as well. Or if you want to add more, it becomes really easy. Um, So it really just depends on where you're at in your business for like, one virtual assistant to cold call full time. And, you know, so if you have one cold calling full time, you have a a dialer system for them to, you know, be logged into to call multiple lines at a time. And then with some data costs and things like that, you know, around 2000 to 2,500 bucks a month, um, you know, is what you should be expecting, you know, going through obviously like a service like ours, um, you know, give or take $500 less if you're doing, uh, if you're sourcing them and doing all that on your own. So, give you kind of a general range there.
0: Perfect. Um, last question here from uh, Kayla: What is the best list to pull, or even the best niche list?
1: Um, so, in our business, like we like, there's not really like a best list. Like everyone thinks there's yeah. some secret like ninja list. It's like the best list is the one that you can consistently, you know, work and, and market to. Um, our favorite are the high equity absentee as generic as that sounds like we like the high equity absentee 55 plus. So, oh. you know, uh, our, cause we, we start with who's our, our ideal seller because there's different types of sellers, right? There's the sellers that are high distress, high motivation that are like in pre foreclosure and tax default. And they have, you know, health issues and they got a bunch of freaking crazy stuff going on in their life. And then there's like the convenience sellers. So we market primarily to convenience sellers. Like we do market to the niche, like the stress list too. But our favorite type of seller to work with are like the older folks that, because the markets we market in are Arizona and Florida. So there's a lot of retirement communities and second homes in those areas. Or uh, So we typically like to market to 55 plus um, because typically like the older folks, they um, they like convenience more than they care about the, you know, the actual, you know, money as much on the home. So we market to people that like convenience. We market to people that it's not their primary home. So they, they have less emotional attachment. They have more desire for convenience. If they're out of state, it's even better. Cause then they just don't even want to mess with it because it's in another state. So those are the types of people that we like to market to convenience. This will be easy. And they don't have to stress about it. So we make, you know, a good amount of money on the deal and they got what they wanted, which was, I don't want to deal with all this crap. I just want to live my life. I'm retired, whatever. And they could just move on with their life and, you know, move forward. So those are, that's our avatar of the type of person we like to market to versus, you know, when you have these people that are in foreclosure and they got all this other stuff going on, there's all sorts of freaking title crap that comes up that there's liens against them and their property and, you know, problems and fires you got to put out. So yes, we do those deals, but you know, it's like, what would you rather do? Like, you know, if you, if you're at the airport and you're like walking to get to your terminal, it's like, you can step on the one side where it's like, there's the walking treadmill. It's like, it helps you get there faster. It's less work. So we choose that versus like, why make it harder on ourselves? So that's what we market to.
0: So it's all about. Um, All right, guys, thank you for the questions. Um, So the last question for you is this is the backstresses podcast. So I have the same question to every single person on here. So, I started 17 or 300 bucks in my bank account as a bag boy. So if you were back at 18 years old, you had $300 in your bank account
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you have all the knowledge you have today in Maricopa County, what would you do? What would you do to become the next Cody Barton? Um,
1: I mean, I would do probably the same thing I did to start, which is I would, I would start, uh, I would drive for dollars, um, immediate, like. ASAP. And then I would, I would literally go drive for a dollar. I would call the investors that are buying in the hottest zip codes and I would go drive for dollars in those zip codes, find the distressed properties. And then I would cold call those owners of those properties myself. And then I would find, you know, a price that would work based off of talking to the investors that I knew that buy in those areas. I would get it under contract for, you know, price that I knew I would make a spread selling it to one of those investors, sell it to the investor, take that profit and reinvest, into the business and then just start scaling it up from there. Still do driving for dollars probably, and then hire a virtual assistant to get more leads coming in and then just kind of build it out from there. Um, but I always like keeping it lean. I always like when people are starting, I always tell people to keep it lean if you can. If you have a lot of time, but not a lot of money, just go out there and just take a lot of physical action to, to get deals in the door to start your business out.
0: Oh, sweet. Cody. Thank you so much. Um, love to have you on next year. Um, Last question here again. Sorry. But um, if I have you on next year, what is the number one thing you want to accomplish in one year from now before you go on this podcast again in your wholesaling business?
1: In our wholesaling business. Uh, in our wholesaling business, uh, hire a full-time operator to get Matt even out of the business where we have somebody just operating the wholesaling business for us so that none of us are, are involved in it more than just like maybe two meetings a month. That's That's our goal right now is just Dialing in our systems our processes and get the business to the point where myself Matt and pace are just fully out of it besides just a couple meetings and you know where we're still able to do seven figures a year have really happy team members that are making great money that are living a great life with their family um, with a great team that's a great culture fit for our organization and what we're looking to do and you know just have the machine run that's that's our goal that's the vision for over this next year to, to get in place.
0: Perfect, Cody. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, again, startvirtual.com and the Cody Barton YouTube channel. Is there any parting thoughts you have for the audience before we hop off?
1: Awesome. Um, now, I mean, just for everybody that's on and maybe is you know do has never maybe they've never done a deal or maybe you're doing one or two deals a month or you're kind of in that range of just trying to scale up your business. You're in a job maybe you don't like. Is just keep taking action. Um, stop getting analysis paralysis. Just take consistent action. Talk to sellers find, you know, make offers, try to get properties under contract, get those sold, go make mistakes, go, go freaking screw stuff up and have to go figure it out and, you know, put the business together. Um, Nothing, you know, too many times people just sit in analysis paralysis and study just all the information, but they never take any action on it. Don't be that person, go out there, just take consistent action. And it'll work for you because it works for everybody that takes action with it and they course correct, they correct and continue. Make a mistake, correct, continue forward, and just keep rocking.
0: Cool. That's it. Cody, thank you so much. Can't wait to see you all next year.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you.